Welcome to WTF is Really Happening, the podcast where two guys, a couple of bros, and all kinds of time expand their thoughts on physical rehabilitation. Let's find out. WTF is really happening today. All right. All right, my friend. I think are, so. I, are we live? I think. I, I, uh, wait. What? I, uh, I think. Uh, we're live. What's up, buddy? So Brian's Brian's been here for like the past maybe hour and a half, and we've just been kicking it, talking about shit, really not related to uh, anything that we'd like to talk podcast about. And my dog is intensely looking at him because he's eating a, a little pastry with some some mushrooms that taste very very Numb. close to cookies, which is really Precisely. really strange. But hey, if you guys really haven't tried this kind of stuff. It's awesome. It's called Shit Take Mushroom Crisps. DJ and A. If that counts as a sponsor, do we get free ones? Alright guys, so today we are going to be talking about the legendary and most controversial and confusing topic, in my opinion, of all fitness and rehab. I think it's pretty simple. But... And it's called... The squat. The squat. The squat. All right, let's get right into it because I know Vardia has a ton of information he wants to talk about on this because he spent a lot of time on his research. And and I believe he did a lot of his master's degree on on the squat Squat mechanics and sequences on how to better train the squat. That's right. First, it started off with... The benefits, the benefits, the benefits of sit to stand in the rehab population. So, so I'm at this point, guys. I'm going to kind of take a step back and let Barbie no, take no, a take. No, no, we're no, not no. playing this. We're not no. playing this. No, no, no I'm no. going to I'm going to comment, no, no, no. but I'm going to take a step back and uh-uh. let you take the lead no. right now. There's no there's there, there's no need. Uh-uh. I'm 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 nobody. No, I'm nobody. Hush. He's Listen, the master, the why don't we master? talk about, why don't we say this? Why don't we say, what about the squat do you want to talk about today? I want because to, like, like I want said, to hear more about your research. Honestly. No, listen, listen, we'll come back. We'll come back to all that stuff. But I think we should break it down a little bit. I think in essence, this, this is going to be like a 20 part episode all about the squat. But it there's going to be more and more to come. Because as what we learn changes all the time, absolutely. But absolutely, I think there's a lot of great techniques and basics, bases around where the squat leads, both in the rehab setting, and where it goes beyond into functional life and functional atmospheres. Because that's where rehab is centered around is function. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Um, so I don't want to be the only one talking over here because I don't like the sound of my own voice. But I know he does. Um, especially when it comes talking about this. What? Let's see. No, it. okay. So on a serious note though, um, the squat itself can be replicated in multiple different areas, right? You, the biomechanical similarities, the neuromuscular similarities, the functionality of it in everyday living, active daily stuff. Of course. Of course. Sports in multiple different variations of sports it uses a similar pattern of sub muscular groups right mm-hmm. 
and the squat can be used as a rehab tool it can be used as an exercise tool it is used every day in your everyday stuff and it could be used as a diagnostic or an assessment tool precisely so there is a reason why people are like hey let's use this squat sequence as a means of finding out how functional you are because of the repetitive necessity for it do you guys use the squat sequence do i yeah i use a variation of it yeah but i'm interested to hear what you truly mean by squat sequence well what do you like what do you i mean look some of them, some of them, some of the things that that i teach and and some of the things that like i've, I've built a practice that specifically caters to the Olympic weightlifters, crossfitters, runners, any kind of an active person who utilizes as, as a main part of their exercise regimen, the squat sequence, right? So the top ones are going to be your crossfitters and they're going to be your Olympic weightlifters. I think beyond that, everyone uses it. Everyone uses it. <laughs> I mean, but everyone in, uses it functionally, right. but from, a, when from when it comes a to a sense. sport. Yeah, I mean, you use it. it all the way from your 90-year-old elderly patient that's trying to figure out how to use the restroom all the way down to your two-year-old who just started walking, everyone uses a squat. So I think it's hugely important and has so many implications. So It is. I, no, no, for why sure. don't we define what, what your definition of squat sequence is? Well, that's a pretty much of a loaded question, Brian, because during my graduate studies, I had to read hundreds of different research articles about the squad and what defines the squad and all the components of the squad and gathering the best from them all i feel like the squad is the most functional and paramount movement within our life cycle um, okay our movement agreed pattern so um, how do you train it how do you go about the squat sequence it all depends though you know who am i working with let's say i'll give you a few examples here let's say i'm working with an older an elderly person, right? I watch them get up. Most of the time, from they're what? going to from a chair. Okay. The chair can be positioned to where it's at their it's a ninety degree knee, or it could be a little bit more. So it could be a little bit higher up, it could be a little bit lower. But nonetheless, the typical instruction is scoot all the way to the edge of your chair and push with your legs and stand up. That's what a rehab person would say that's what um anyone who's trying to help someone get up from a chair that's capable enough without much assistance able to get out of the the chair but without any instruction the majority of 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 elderly people will kind of use their hands and push their head forward and then lift their butt off the chair but they're leaning forward for the most of the movement right okay which is which poses some risk factors if you you know happen to get dizzy or if you don't have the strength to actually push yourself up you're leaning forward so much to where you'll just go straight down with your nose right of course um so you know in, in that kind of a situation i will try to see if i can just cue them if i can just use feedback techniques to help them understand hey pick up this or you know and push through here keep your knees above your the ball of your feet you know, go with scoot over to the as close as possible to the uh edge of your chair okay I mean, we can get more detail as 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 necessary but um 
so just sorry to intervene here, yeah, but yeah. I, I. So do you use the squat sequence more as a assessment of motor control, strength, endurance, power, or D all the above? D all the above. It all depends, really. You know what the person is. The one catch-all statement. It all for depends. all of our fields. It all depends, dude. Right. It's, it, it really does because you can't you can't put this in a jar and say this is it. You know, I think right. I think I think the more you understand the, the everything that is involved with the squat, the more you're able to utilize it in multiple different settings. One hundred percent. If you have the basic understanding of it, and but see, there is a lot of misconceptions about it too. There is, you know, the functional movement system. That's one factor that i'm like this is not if we if we want to get scientific with it there are we can we can get more and more detailed about it and mm-hmm. in, in my work i am a very detailed oriented person the more detailed you are depending on what your goals are the more you have to fine tune that particular movement mm-hmm. to help the person achieve what they need to achieve athletes that i work with are professional athletes they are semi-pro athletes or the recreational athletes that are really demand and really desire to be active for a long time regardless of their age so they have the functional capabilities and they've been doing these things for a long time you know they've been doing crossfit for an example for seven ten years uh, and you know they they look great they move great and they perform well enough to where it puts them at a category of you know semi-professional or professional mm-hmm Given that factor, they still can improve some of their movements if you just break down the squat sequence. Correct. Detailed enough. So, I don't know. Does that answer your your, your question here? I feel like it starts to. I feel like there's plenty more to be kind of intrigued upon here. Sure. Um, I think my my big question here is, do, do you think there is such a thing as the perfect squat? Um... There is not such a thing as a perfect squat, but there's such a thing as um, optimal or based on all your capabilities. What can everyone should have the ability to reach their optimal capability? I love the way you put that. Yeah, because I I truly believe that. Yes, we, we have some general guidelines for a squat, but it's going to vary highly person to person based upon what they're able to do, what their range of motion is, what they're able to progress to, just the mechanics of the way their body is made. I mean, yes, we all like to say we're equal on the other, we're, we're all equal, but we're, we're all equal, but our bodies are made differently. Absolutely. So our squats are going to be very different. I mean, my squat may be to 25% of the range of your squat, just because of the way my body's made and the way that my musculature works together sure now can we train those things yes but should i expect optimal day one and precise the same exact thing person to person by all means not at all no and you know we have morphological differences of course some morphological i mean they're 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 different in the sense that you know you can't really fix them you can't fix them you know some people are bound to particular movements however However, there are a, there is a parameter in which you need to move based on your mechanical capabilities. Correct. Okay? So everyone is going to move differently, but 
that person should have an optimal standard. They should have a, a range by mere examination. Mm -hmm. You can find 80% of what they should look like versus what they're actually doing. And I, I'm, I'm saying 80% because obviously the rest of it, you can't ever be, a, be sure of. Right. But with the examination and, and with the assessments and the analysis and you know, what their potential, you, you, you can have them go take an x-ray you know, uh, to, to, to actually see yeah. whether or not this is a morphological permanence. Um, but other than that... Sort of, yeah. I mean, I, I like the way you're going with that, as in, like, all of us are similar in our squat to about 80% of the, of a degree. Yeah. Now, not any of us are going to be 100%. We're going to be about 80%. I like that number, kind of a roundabout of... It's all going to look about 80% the same. It should follow these basic guidelines, yeah. which are... It's all... It's, it's based... Again, it depends. It's based on your mechanical structure. So but if you're... It, if someone's taller, let's, someone's let's wider. Go, let's go base... Base Basic walks stuff. In. Okay. Let's everyone... Hear, this is something that your, everyone your, should know. Your goals, your guidelines for... All right, you're going to squat. Here's what I want to see. Very basic elementary guideline. You want to make sure that... You don't have any excessive varus. You don't have valgus, knees. Um, you don't want to have someone have an excessive forward flexion when they're squatting, right? You're leaning in too much. These, some of the cues that most coaches give is, are, are these things. Your heels are lifting off the ground when you're squatting. Your knee is tracking past your the, your, the ball of your foot or, or your toes. One of them is like hip winking which we can get to that a little bit later i, oh, I don't shit. i don't think there is a huge that's that's actually a concern it shouldn't be a concern for most people depending on which phase of the squat sequence is taking place 100 um you know whether or not you have hyperpronation whether you're flat-footed or you're not if you're keeping your toes straight and pushing your knees out kyphosis lardosis uh, hyperlardosis I, sh I should say um, so I'll admit I have like three basic general rules I tell patients for squatting and just to give them a starting point. Things are going to vary, of course, sure. amply between patient to patient, but I normally start with keep your feet about shoulder width apart, keep your nose over your toe, your toes, and sit back like you're and squat and bend. Sorry, and bend down like you're sitting in a, into a chair. That's perfect. Basic three things just kind of cue them. And if they meet all three of those, it kind of meets those other cues. Because sometimes I don't want them thinking so much about really keeping their heels down. And I really want them focused on bringing their hips back. Starting to focus on that full squat form all the way back into the position. Hmm. But that's kind of how I go about it. Do you Again, have any it, it basic, depends, it basic depends, rules? Yeah, it depends on, on your uh, population. If I'm working with someone who has you know multiple different types of... Uh, impairments and they have comorbidities that that you know it's just it depends on how much time I have and what kind of advice or what kind of area is going to benefit this patient the most obviously I don't need to get too much into it but with everyone that I see I do do a general full assessment right um, I don't work with uh, you know the population I work with just demands it but you know, if someone is there for their shoulder, I'll still do a full, and especially if they're a CrossFitter or if they're Olympic weightlifters, 
I'll do the full assessment, which I'll take into consideration measurements, physical exam, and movement assessment of the actual squat. Mm -hmm. I can do it with the, with the, with, with the eyes. And if I want to just show this person, hey, you're applying a lot of your weight onto one side when you're just kicking off. Are you at a point of fatigue? How does your body behave when it's fatigued? Um, you know, I, I know your population and my population are, are, are different, but even at, for me, if I'm working with someone who um, is not very active, um, has some discomfort, if I can just look at their sit to stand, I, don't, I won't even have them do, I mean, if, if their squat is like way wonkus off the chart, obviously I'm not going to be like, your heels are, you know, not sitting on the ground or... You, it just it doesn't it doesn't matter to them because they're not going to grasp it. Correct. I'm not saying patients are stupid or anything like that, but I, I'm saying I'm going to utilize what this person is going to take away the most. Yeah. And so work with what you got. Work with what you got. And so if those three for you are um, enough to get your patient population to understand what you want them to do, and those three criterias. Uh, have shown to have a pretty good track record for you that you're you're able to get the person feeling better and um, you know they're they're progressing in their process. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. I don't I don't think you need to go not go in more in, in depth with it. Does that make sense? <laughs> I get a depth squat depth. Huh. <laughs> uh, I just first I'll just just another disclaimer here for all you guys. If you're not having your patients whether you're a chiropractor, a physical therapist, an exercise physiologist, or a physician even, no matter who you are, even the patients yourself, you guys should be squatting. And you should be seeing your patients squat. Watch the way they look from just the get-go. Not necessarily it's the most important thing, but if you're not watching that, I feel like you're missing out on so much. Whether it's low back pain, knee, hip, all the way down through the thoracic spine, cervical spine, sometimes even with shoulder, you can work in an overhead squat. These things are super important. And as we mentioned earlier, they're super functional activities. So just another disclaimer, make sure those things are happening. And patients, if you're out there listening, make sure you're also working on trying to, trying to take these things and just kind of use them to as much as you can. Now, and to get back to our original point there, I'll agree, I, I, they're not things that work for everybody, but they're a starting ground. And from there, that's where everything goes. I mean, now, the direction of where it goes after that, it's always going to vary. For sure. Now, when you see, when you tell someone to squat, obviously they're going to squat whichever way they're comfortable with it. What do you think is the most important thing about their squat form? What trends, what patterns have you seen and things that you feel are important to modify and adapt for these patients that you see? I mean, gross medical advice. I mean, this is not specific sure. or anything, but... Sure. Um, this is an interesting question because most of your questions, the answer, the initial answer is, is well, it kind of depends. Right. But, so always. I, I do this seminar and this is the kind of... And I'm showing you and, and for, the, for the listeners, I'll actually go ahead and post this... Um, on uh, on our Facebook page as well, if you want to go and grab it and take a look at it. But this is this is something that I do workshops on, and it kind of breaks down. These are the areas that we're gonna look at. Some of the things that are really common in what I see are the ways in which the athletes are 
have been trained or are training currently. Okay. Based on their coach, based on what is available to them online and what is the trending hot topic on YouTube or their box or their gym or wherever. All right. So some of the overused and now meaningless cueing are when people and I have to kind of tell them, hey, don't show off for me. Do the movement that you typically would do if you're doing air squats, if you're doing, you know, overhead or just your 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 air your show me what you typically would do. So in most people are just are gonna wanna give you your their best. So they're going to, you know, pump themselves a little bit, hold themselves the right way for the amount of time. But you know, what they I know do who's is, looking. Yeah. So what I do is I take them to the point of fatigue, so I can just see some natural um, changes that would that would take. But don't round your back, chest up. So they'll, you know, they're desperately trying to keep their chest up, but the change is not taking place from their lumbar, from their SI and lumbar. They're keeping their chest up from their T12, their, their and their thoracic. So although they're leaning forward significantly enough to where this is going to have a physiological change, muscular recruitment change in how you're squatting, they feel like they're keeping their body more erect, but it's only from the thoracic up. They're doing it incorrectly. I've heard this plenty of times where people say, screw your feet into the ground. So they'll keep their toes forward, okay? Mm -hmm. And... As they're ascending and descending, they push their knees out. So they're going into a hypervarus movement Okay. while their toes are kept straight. The issue with that is if you're doing a particular movement repetitively, okay, and uh, the person has hyperpronation or they're flat-footed, flexible or rigid, but they're flat-footed enough to where they pronate. Depending on if they're rigid or if they're flexible, that tibia has already taken its shape it's internally rotated okay in closed chain of course everybody right when it's internally rotated and the person is keeping their toes straight it's going to lock in the tibia in that position and when they forcefully try to externally rotate the hip so push their knees outwards this is someone who has knee valus val uh, valgus and the coach or them them themselves have been taught to push the knees out. It puts a lot of torque force onto the knee more than what it needs. So everything I look at, cost versus benefit, what you're doing, is there a better cost to it or is there a better benefit to it? This particular movement that I see regularly, the cost and benefit just does not match up. In fact, it's more damaging to the knee than it is better. I mean, you know this more than I do, if you flex the knee, if you hyperflex the knee with load, that's the more force you're going to accumulate in your knees. Of course. So the more you do that on a repetitive basis, the more you're going to wear and tear, arthritis, and all the other and junk stuff. chain position, more patellofemoral joint reaction forces. Absolutely. Deeper the flexion and yeah. closed chain movement. Yeah. Of course. And then the other thing is people are just crazy about engaging your posterior chain. Like, 
squatting is a glute exercise. Squatting is a butt exercise. And in fact, it is not. I repeat this, guys. Squat does not influence your glute, medius, maximus, the way we think it does. Now, expand on that last part there, the way we think it does. Now, I think there is some activation. Some activation. Now, of I course, want it you... has to activate. <laughs> of course. I think we can utilize the posterior chain of the squat, but I want to hear you expand more on that part. And you do the squat with a good form, right, to where the length-tension ratio relationships between your hip and your glutes are, are actually applied. Even in those circumstances, when you do the squat, your glute medius, your posterior chain, are only acting as a co-activator to your anterior chain. So as a co-activator, their job is to co-activate your vastus lateralis for the most part. Okay? So am I making, uh, are, are you, am I making sense? Because you're like, uh, I just want to make sure that, I, that you're understanding it. Whether or not you, you agree with it, we can, we can get into that. I just want to make sure you're, you're I, I think I know where you're going. Okay. So the squat itself does not influence the glutes anymore than what it is capable of applying. Because when we're talking about force production, glute medius, glute maximus, rectors, your hamstrings, we're talking about a positive influence on these muscles, your posterior chain. These are the posterior chain muscles, right? Mm -hmm. If we're talking about influencing them positively and not overly, like your rectors, positively they're not influenced with the squat sequence. It doesn't matter how much you lift. There are other exercises that you can do that influences the posterior chain significantly more than the squat. So my argument here is that the squat does not positively strengthen or build your posterior chain. And I don't care by just wanting to engage your, be more posterior dominant. That does not exist. It cannot exist. Mechanically speaking and recruitment pattern speaking, it does not, it's not possible. You know, movement. It's like saying, I'm going to do bicep curls, but try to be more tricep dominant when you're trying to do a bicep curl. Can you be more tricep dominant when you're doing a bicep curl? Not that I know of. Right. Huh. Now, I see what you're saying. My, I don't know about a counter argument or just just additional information to be thought of in, in this conversation here is now, from my point of view, I've seen the posterior chain just so not trained whatsoever Correct. that people can still stand up, i.e. a squat, Without, of course, using their posterior chain. But I can also have someone do 30 bridges, which is going to work their posterior chain, have them stand up and actually start to see them not fall forward into that quad. Precisely. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get is I feel as though, it de- and as you stated earlier, it depends. Uh, the statement you you stated I, I will agree with in the sense of that a squat is not solely a posterior chain exercise. It can be utilized to 
facilitate activation of the posterior chain when it is so under trained that it has not been activated in my my perspective here now can we can we use the squat to train the posterior chain to to an extent but as you said it's only going to train to the extent of co-activation with the quads and the anterior chain so from my point of view well if you're working your quads and you build your quads up so much you can continue to train the squat for the posterior chain as long as it's matching up with the co-activation of your quads so i mean uh, kind of a ratio here they've kind of got to be even right now well bringing an emg and we'll be able to measure exactly what that ratio is as we progress but we're, i mean of course we're just talking just hypotheticals here but no does that make sense to you this is this is based this is well, i'm sorry the ratio thing oh, i'm yeah. talking hypotheticals yeah. on. so what i'm what i'm you're i mean i i, I hear you and i and i totally agree with the example that you gave i'm gonna i can have someone do some hip bridges right mm-hmm. and then you have them stand up and do the squat and all of a sudden they can perform the squat a little bit better mm-hmm. but what you have done effectively is you've activated you primed you've neuromuscularly adapted or educated the muscle to kind of wake the fuck up and perform at a higher standard specifically with the, the posterior squat, chain with the posterior chain right um you know your 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 hamstring your glute maximus those are the things that really kind of trigger in when you do the hip bridge of course so it's going to help you out with here right so how do you explain and then whenever you say um, someone's posterior chain has not been trained, you know, someone is just very deconditioned, how do you explain someone who is a pro-crossfitter, semi-pro-crossfitter, young, you can, I mean, you can muscle test them. You can, you can do, you know, um, micro-fit testing. Uh, to where you can actually see the force production of the glute medius glute maximus and it's, and it's very acceptable but they exhibit specific movement patterns that yield the understanding your glute medius your glute maximus are weak your posterior chain is weak in this particular movement sequence they do the squat a hundred times a day mm-hmm. so if they do the squat sequence, load it, unload it in different variations, whether it's the deadlift or snatch or clean and jerk or just back squat, front squat, you name it, right? Bulgarian split squat, anything you can possibly think about that has the term squat in it, they do it on a regular basis during their training. But why is it that their posterior chain is still considered weak if you test that just the posterior chain in a squat sequence test it during a squat sequence i can't tell you i i test the posterior chain on a regular basis at least 10 times a day and every single time i test it it's going to be diminished because from my point of view no not completely diminished but in reference to what my force can be and you know graded force is often is going to be diminished because it's at a gravitational disadvantage during my manual muscle test in the same sense of quads your quads are often stronger because they're at a 
biomechanical advantage and they have a lot more muscle behind them. If you take all of the quads together, there's four different muscles in there, right? That's not too hard. Latin's not that bad. And all of them together acting in the same direction as opposed to your glute max, which does hip extension when the knees flex at, at optimalized uh, positioning, and the glute medius, which you can test in a variety of different ways. I've been trained to test it with flexion, abduction, of course, a little bit of external rotation. And as we progress those things, they're, they're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage because of the way we don't activate them during our normal ways. And I think this conversation comes back to a conversation about compensation versus recovery now are we talking about during our gait pattern are we not activating our glute need either anterior or posterior fibers and our glute max or are we compensating by trunk forward trunk flexion and including uh overly quad domination during our our um gait patterns uh, now that's a conversation between compensation and recovery um, to which I will always try and recover as much as I can to prevent the need for compensation because, I mean, what is compensation ringing in your head and that's pain and, and future compensation in the future. So we want to try and re re limit the amount of compensation we do and actually recover as much as we can to lead ourselves to that functional, functional um, activity. Um, I mean, did can, I just kind of rant for a while and say no. nothing? I feel like I did. Listen, you can. You said there are disad gravitational disadvantages when you test particular muscles, right? Mm -hmm. Standing, lying down, dynamic movement, passive, active. Um, but if you understand that at what point of the squat sequence do the glute medius maximus minimus actually kick in actually activate or are supposed to activate then you have a better idea of understanding in this phase of the squat this should happen right uh -huh. so your glute medius maximus minimus they're going to contract the most when someone is we're talking about descending and ascending 61 degrees hip knee flexion to about 105 degrees and then back up from that same range same range that's the only time so and then in CrossFit they call it like getting out of the hole alright just barely below parallel uh -huh. that's the only time and obviously whenever you're like about four degrees from full extension to full extension to about zero correct um, and because they're all now the just, muscles, just to make sure the yeah. listeners understand let's say that one more time the the glutes are most active and your posterior chain is most active from 61 degrees till about 105 degrees. degrees of knee flexion during the closed chain squat formation. Talk open chain with the legs off the ground, this is completely different. But from 61 to about 105 degrees, of course, anything being called in the hole is beyond that 90 degree of parallel. And right back up from the descent up and through the ascent in that same. And the hole is like all the way down into the hole coming back up. It's like you know, okay. um, but that is also the the glutes are so dependent on permission from your 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 anterior mechanics. Permission. Permission. Question yeah. mark. 
So length tension ratio. There, there is really there. I would personally would love to do a research project on why anyone you test, you're going to find the glute medius to be inhibited. I don't care if they're athletes. I don't care if they're sedentary, non-sedentary, obese. The degree is going to vary, but you can still find some kind of inhibition in the glute medius. Why is that? Even people who are well-conditioned, well-coordinated, well-fit, and, 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 and perform well, but still show inhibition in their glute medius. Like there, I mean, I mean, there is a, there is a, I mean, we can, everyone always will say, the reason you're feeling this, the reason you're feeling your, your, your knees are hurting, or your, your hip is hurting, or your ankle is hurting, or your left eye is going blind, is because your glute medius isn't firing. <laughs> At a certain point, you can find deficits in any muscles. You can, sure. Inhibition, and. And I mean, especially in, in the syndrome-based atmosphere of things, there are certain muscles that are just prone to inhibition, particularly being the posterior chain of the glute max and glute medium. Just so much of them are just so inhibited. I think a lot of, if, if we had to actually say a hypothetical reason in, in my head, would be just just function. Like how how often are we really using it? And are we using it to our optimal advantage, as you say? And I think when we're using our single limb activities, we're forcing that glute med to fire. But but here's here's what I here's the point that I do want to make. The reason I keep bringing up CrossFit as much as everyone is like it's stupid, it's gonna kill people, and it really I mean look, I, I think everyone who says it is kind of kind of a crock of shit because if if you really think about it, CrossFit has its points when you start to look into its actual expertise. If, if so you do it the right get, way, let's just get that. Yeah, yeah, let's get that out of the way. All I'm saying no is, no one that, hates CrossFit or should hate CrossFit. You have to actually do your research on what you're doing. Sure, with it. sure. I, I'm just saying, like, I'm not trying to be biased because I've worked with that population, but I've chosen to work with this population for a reason. The people in that population are very much wanting to be active. Okay, they will do what necessary to maintain their level of activity their fitness to whatever degree that is this is why correct but in any kind of calisthenics in any kind of fitness program i guarantee you they're going to use single leg very much and frequently but nonetheless if you still measure and if you still look at their impairments the glute meets is still impaired i'm kind of chasing a rabbit here to say that the length tension re- relationship has a significant effect on the capabilities, on the glutes' capabilities to actually activate optimally. When I say optimally, I'm talking about all their fibers. I'm talking about their anterior, posterior, superior 100%, fibers. Because when you're in flexion, you're tightening the posterior fibers. When you're in extension, you're tightening the anterior fibers. So you can't activate all the fibers at one point. Not even that, which is, that's a good point. But if you are, if you have lordosis, if your lumbar pelvis hip is not <laughs> ideally located in the right neutral mechanical space. Which it never is. Never is. Yeah. In the right mechanical space. And when I say right, that depends on what is right for that particular person. But 
whatever that norm is, whatever that neutral position is, that's when the all majority of more of the fibers of your glute medius maximus will have the have the opportunity to fire. Right. So that Which is, is how we tested. That's how we that's how we tested. So if someone is leaning forward too much, their glute medius is never going to be able to fire as much as if they're more vertical. Correct. One thing I have such a huge problem with coaches and you know YouTube and other professionals really keep telling people push your hip out, push your hip out when you're squatting. So let's take that exaggerated statement that Bardia kind of threw out and may have shocked quite a bit of us here of just don't train the posterior chain and, and I don't think he means that and I've correct never me said if I'm don't wrong. train the posterior right. chain and, and admit, you have to train the posterior chain correct. as a supplemental See, he's you getting, have he's to do it me, guys guys, guys hold listen hold no, no, all I'm saying is don't do the squat in hopes to, of doing justice to your glutes your posterior chain you have to do that with different forms of exercises perfect to supplement the muscles, so I, to prime the muscles, like so that when you do the exercise, when yeah. you do the squat, you're more likely to do it damn better than you, than otherwise. Wow. But if you just do the squat to hope and strengthen guys, your glute, your posterior chain, you're wrong. You're just dead wrong. Like gosh. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to drop the mic. Whew. I just feel like my father told me he's disappointed in me. <laughs> 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 Anyways, what I was trying to get at was that that statement that may have struck a couple chords with some of us is, is as he stated, it's not, core. not what core. What core did it strike with you? Tell me. All the local and global core. I, uh, um, but with the knee, it, it almost sounded and came off to us as though you know don't train the posterior chain. But we know that I never said don't on, train the posterior I, I'm chain. I'm not putting words All in your I'm mouth. I'm defending is you. Is that you do not do the squat Stop in order to strengthen the posterior chain? Right. So I was about to That's say that until you yelled at me again. No, it's because you're saying no. It, I never said that. He's walking away with the mic, so no did one can it, even it, hear it him. Come across that way. So it 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 can be perceived that way very quickly. How? So, How? so I gotta go back. <laughs> perception is reality, right? So perception is reality. I think that's a big oh, point. Oh man! Here. So it again, training the posterior chain is okay, but intentionally, as, as you said, the squat is not the optimal way to train the posterior chain. There are millions of other ways. Not that it is I wouldn't useless. say a million. I, I would say like maybe a hundred really good ways. Okay. Three top really good ways. Okay. But but anyway. it, it, again, what? <laughs> so the posterior chain can be trained, but you're again, it comes down to assessment, right? So what? Uh, in, in my head, I always think of when I'm prescribing any sort of exercise as a physical therapist is. What am I? What's my goal with this exercise? Am I trying to target this? Am I trying to target what? What's my goal here? Moving forward, hopefully this conversation has kind of led you to believe. And Barty can post some good research on this, and I know he's got plenty of good authors and and articles to back him up on what he's saying here. But when if you're trying to train the posterior chain, as we know is important, instead of focusing on training the posterior chain let's focus on function or whatever the patient really needs 
don't don't do a squat trying to train the posterior chain. Yes. Do a squat because they need to squat. Yes. They need to sit on a toilet to yes. use the restroom. They need to sit down in a chair without having too much pain. Don't do it to train the posterior chain. The posterior chain, again, meaning glute max, glute med, any of those particular muscles. So I think that's kind of our clinical clinical pearls there from it all. The squat can be super utilized. But also, I'm also going to argue left and right with tons of research stating that the squat is is only the squat. There's You can vary the squat with resistance and weight and form, but you're always going to target the same muscles with the squat every single time. Basically, what, what I'm trying to say is you cannot bias the training of the vastus lateralis or vastus medialis muscles over anything else during a squat. So the squat's going to train the same muscles during its activity. You can overemphasize them with the way you lean and weight bear, but it's going to train the same muscles. It's going to train your quad as a whole. It's going to train the posterior chain from those specific degrees that we mentioned earlier, from 61 to 105 degrees of depth flexion, and also at the very end range of hip extension. Those things are going to stay consistent. That's what the research has shown, and that's what we continue to believe is true. I agree with that, Bardia. I I, I agree. I think we're... I, yes, I yes, agree with you. what you're saying. And I'll finish my statement, then you can yell at okay, me. Okay, go ahead. Um, but those are the things that are, that are going to be trained as we move forward. As we progress with these things, yes, all of our other fancy tools and techniques that hopefully we'll get into in other episodes here are super beneficial in trying to help particularly uh, facilitate the squat. The squat itself, as an exercise, is going to train its particular muscles each and every time. Just because you toe out or you toe in doesn't mean one certain muscle is going to be biased over another. And as you continue to progress, the quad, the little bit of the posterior chain, and the rest of your lower extremity is going to be activated. Your lumbar paraspinals will even kick in at times. But those muscles are going to stay consistent over and over and over again. Can we inhibit them? Can we facilitate them to only to a limited extent? Drop the mic. So um, it's, as always, it's been a pleasure, my good friend. Thank you all. Have a great evening. Peace. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like and follow our social media and tune in next time for more WTF is really happening in all things physical rehabilitation.